Great to have you in the house of the Lord this morning. Great to have you come together. I am so glad that you have made it this morning, that you braved the cold. <laughs> Hello. I was just reading, uh, I just felt this uh, scripture come into my heart. I've been meditating on the last little while. It says this, that all creation, all creation, that means all creation, that means the weather patterns, that means the ground, that means the, the, the dog, <laughs> it means all creation, there's nothing left out of all, all creation. The Bible says this, it eagerly expects, it is an eager anticipation, it is an eager expectation, this is the scripture says, it earnestly expects even the very ground that you stand on this morning, the ground that surrounds us, the earth, all creation, waits in an eager anticipation, eager expectation. What for? Let me tell you what the Bible says. It says, for the presentation or the manifestation of the sons of God, that is you, that is you. All creation waits with bated breath, waits and with anticipation. See, the kid enjoys it, eh? All creation waits eagerly, expectant for the sons of God to manifest, for the sons of God to arise, for the sons of God to present themselves, for the sons of God to step up out of whatever situation they're in, to step up. All creation is waiting for you to step up. The living, the innate, the created, all creation waiting for the sons of God, waiting for you. And I pray that this morning, that you would respond this morning, that you would respond to the call, that you would respond to the Holy Spirit speak to you, that you would respond to the Word, that you would respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. All creation is waiting, expecting for you. The question is, will you turn up? Will you turn up? Will you present yourself this morning? Father, today we, we gather before you today, not as broken people, but Father, we gather before you today as, as your sons made righteous. We gather before you today as people alive in Christ today. We invite your Holy Spirit to come to speak into our lives today. Lord God's people said, come on, like you mean it. Lord God's people said, all right. Come on, why don't you turn to somebody next to you, welcome them. Give them a high
We've got a fantastic team over in the corner over here by these beautiful lights. We've got an amazing team and they would love to get to know you. So why don't you come over after the service? It'd be fantastic. Hey, we're going to move along this morning. If you've had a birthday or an anniversary, we want you to give us a wave because we've got a gift for you this morning. Look, here they go, the hands. Birthdays. Look at all these. I can see three. Sandra, Kez, Linda. What about wedding anniversaries? Keep your hands up until a gift has come your way. Where? It was Esther's wedding anniversary. Esther and Robin. How many years? And she still wants her chocolate. Three years married. Come on. Fantastic. I ate your one, sorry. Hey, we've got some great things coming up. And uh, we're just going to whip through them really quickly because we've got a couple of really important ones we want to bring to your attention at the end. So uh, make sure you take a bulletin when you come, when you leave, because it's got everything that you will need in it for the coming week. So we've got a uh, kids' movie morning, second week of the school holidays. We've got youth tribal wars coming your way. So parents, if your teens aren't connected, go to the Ask Me desk or come and see T. Where's T this morning? He's, can you stand up? This is Tavani. He runs yes. our youth ministry. Incredible. So come and see him or come to the Ask Me desk. We'll register your young people. We've also got our over 60s event and next weekend. You don't want to miss it. You don't have to be 60 to go. You can be over 60, under 60. Just come along. These guys are like wild hogs. So you want to be there. Wild hogs. <laughs> wild hogs. Hey, we've got uh, Kingsman coming up and uh, Kingsman breakfast next, next Saturday. I encourage you to be there. This is not just uh, a gathering together like you would with a couple of mates and, and talk crap over beer or something like that. No, this is far higher level than this. One of the things I, I could point out my, just before was this. All creation are waiting for the sons of God to manifest themselves, to step up. That means your wife. That means your future. That means the world around you is waiting with eager anticipation for men to stand up. That includes women, but in this particular case, we want men. This is not just about, uh, just about breakfast to teach you how to pray. I want to teach you how to arise. I want you to teach you how to stand up in authority. This is not just a, a one-off thing, but our, our community depends on it. All right? It's not just a breakfast where we come together and just, like I said, talk rubbish or anything like that. This is about something that will impact the community and the world around you. This is something that will impact your, uh, generations to come. The creation is waiting, so don't keep it waiting long. Please just turn up, right? It'd be great. I've made it cheap, 10 bucks. If you can't afford that, just turn up anyway. I don't really care. I want to pay for you. Just be there and be there strong. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're working on our Just Because initiative, feeding our community. So uh, this month, the month of July, we are asking for tin tomatoes and lasagna sheets. You can drop them. We want to thank you for your generosity in June. And uh, you can drop them into the bins in the foyer. We've got our chefs preparing incredible meals. And then our connect groups are going to start cooking these meals really, really soon. So every person in this church family can be a part of this in some way. Amen? Hey, we had to postpone our welcome to church. It's for every person that's new to Ascend. And uh, it was meant to be last Sunday, but we've shifted it to next Sunday night. We want to invite you. If you've been coming for six months but have never come to meet with us, hear the vision, we would love you to come. So register at the Ask Me desk. All right, I want to bring your attention to this. Some of you, many of you may have heard of the series called The Chosen. It is an incredible, uh, incredible series 
of the life of Jesus Christ. It will change you. It'll impact you. What we're going to do through the month of August is we're going to run it on Sunday nights. So you can bring your family. It is appropriate for children. It, it raises great discussion questions with somebody that might be searching, wondering about Christianity. This would be something to bring them to. So five o'clock on Sunday evenings. We want to show you just a small clip from it very quickly. one of the greatest depictions of the gospel. Uh, so challenging. So we want you to um, come. It's at five o'clock every Sunday night and through August. Bring somebody along. And uh, just before we finish up, we've got Shane Willard here coming just in about three weeks' time. We don't want you to miss it. Some of you have never heard him. He's been coming here for about 16 years. This guy will open the word and challenge you like you've never heard before. So we want to give you just a little taste of what you will uh, experience. stand up to our feet. Uh, Apostle Mark will be coming to minister shortly, but um, we want to acknowledge the Lord in our giving this morning, and um, we're tremendously grateful for what He has done in our lives. Um, there was a story in the, in the Scripture where 10 lepers came to Jesus for healing, and, uh, and Jesus pronounced healing over their lives, and then they all walked away and went off to other places, and, but one turned back and acknowledged the Lord and said, thank you came before the Lord 
And uh, for me, I don't want to ever be the one of the nine that carried on, got touched by the Lord and just walked away and, and followed something else and just went back to my old life. I want to always be that one that comes back to the Lord and says, thank you, Lord, for healing me. Thank you for your presence. I worship you, I honor you. So when we give, it's not a, we're not following a rule or anything like that. There are principles, but they're not rules as such. Primarily, it's done out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. And uh, today as we come, we want to bless the Lord with our tithes and our offerings of our finance. Jesus also, when, he, when it came to the offering time, he, he watched people. One of the things he did was this. He, he didn't watch what they gave as such, but they, the Bible says he watched how they gave. Whether they gave with a heart of gratitude, whether they gave with a heart of, um, uh, of reverence, or whether they just threw it on, or whether they just did things to try and show off. So this morning, I may encourage you, let it be a heart of gratitude. Let it be a heart of honour this morning as we, as we bless the Lord with our finances and we welcome Apostle Mike as he comes to minister. Let's just worship one more time.
you. Lord, we want our lives to bring honour to you. Lord, today we lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we bring our lives into alignment, into agreement with you and your kingdom and your will. Lord, we pray that you would fill us up. Fill us with your Spirit. Empower us to live great lives, powerful lives, lives that honour you and glorify you. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap, shall we? Thank you, Lord. We want to honour you for all you've done for us. Your death on the cross, your life available to us. We want to honour you. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, that's so wonderful. I want to welcome those who are watching online. Got many friends watching online, so welcome. Great to have you with us. And uh, I know you'll be blessed by today's message. Great to uh, just have the, such a time of worship. I love it. I just kind of sometimes don't want it to finish, you know. This is so good. And uh, I want you to just open your Bible with me, and we're going to go through a few scriptures. I want to share with you this message. It's called God Rewards Faithful Service. God rewards faithful service. We were just singing, I want to honor you or glorify you. Jesus said in John chapter uh, 17, verse 4, he said, I have glorified you. How did he do it? It was not just by the lifting of hands in worship. He said, it's by fulfilling the work you gave me to do. So Jesus connects glorifying him or bringing honor to him with the way we live our life and serve him. Think about that. And that's going to be the focus of what I want to share about. And I want you, even if you uh, can't remember all the things we share, I want you, if you can, take the Scriptures and, and notice the Scriptures and see these things for yourself. And uh, so, so does God reward? The Bible's very clear. He is a rewarder. Because many people struggle. They think, oh, man, is serving God. Does it seem so hard? And they go through so much difficulties and challenges. Is it worth all of this? And people are seduced away by what the world offers to them, not realizing God is a rewarder. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In the book of Hebrews, which is a, a list of people of faith, people in their generation that please God, it says that Moses gave up Egypt, gave up the pleasures of Egypt, gave up a temporary life of privilege and honor to serve God, identifying with the people of God. He identified with the church of his day. He identified with what God was doing. And as he identified with God's work in his people and served them, it said, this is what moved him. It says, Two things. Number one, he had respect for the reward God had in mind for him. And the second thing is he endured lots of things because he constantly had vision of the invisible unseen God. We see it in Hebrews 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the Pharaoh's daughter, uh, the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach for Christ, being ridiculed, mocked uh, for Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. And then it says, and by faith, this is a faith thing. In other words, he firmly was convinced and believed in his heart that God had reward for him and for the people of God, and that's what moved him to let it go. 
This is not like just a giving up of everything for nothing. This is he looked at what God offered and he looked what the world offered and he said, this is so much bigger and better, I will give that up for this. Make sense? And so he sacrificed a life of pleasure and privileges and riches and, uh, for, uh, for, the, for the opportunity to serve God because for the reward. To everyone, he looked crazy, but from God's perspective and our perspective, he was wise. So here's the thing then, faithfulness in serving Christ will be rewarded. Now we're gonna look at another passage in Matthew 19, verse 27 and 28. And uh, Peter answered, now Jesus just been talking about a very, to a young man, a very wealthy young man, and he had inquired about what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus identified that his trusting in riches was an issue that hindered him entering and experiencing all God had for him. And so then the disciples then immediately say, and we're gonna read it in Matthew 19, 27 and 28, and then in Luke 18. It says that Peter answered him and said, see, we've left everything, or we've left all and followed you, what will we have? That's a good question, isn't it? We've left everything, what will, we, what will we have? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, he's referring to the restoration of creation, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging 12 tribes of Israel. And then he goes on to expand it and he says, everyone, everyone, that's you and me, who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And in Luke 18, it's very similar, it adds a little different to it. Luke 18 and verse 28, Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. And he said, assuredly I say to you, there's no one who's left house, parents, brothers, wife, children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times, notice this, more, many times more in this present time, that's now, and in the age to come, eternal life. So there's two, two passages, they're very similar, they got a little bit different in them. I want you to see, first of all, what is Peter wanting to know? What is the question he's asking? Here it is, I've, we've left everything. We gave up our career, we gave up families, we gave up comfort, and we've been on the road following you as your disciple, What's in this for us? And that's an interesting question, isn't it? What's in it for us? So he's, he's not asking how to be saved. To be saved is an issue of just faith. It rests totally on what Jesus has done. We are saved, it's a free gift. God gives you the life of his spirit as a free gift by trusting and committing your life to Christ. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the result or the reward, what will we receive for a life of sacrificial service? We've paid a price to follow Christ. And, uh, and, and this is what, uh, so he's not, he's not asking about how to be saved. He's asking about the rewards of a life committed to follow Christ. And this is what, uh, following Jesus, he's saying, what, we've left everything to follow you. So what does that mean, follow? To follow Jesus means to yield to his plan for your life. It means to submit in your life to how he wants you to live his life. Doesn't mean you go all over the world as a missionary. It means as a husband, you submit to God's order for marriage. And, and uh, so it, it's basically saying no to myself and yes to God. 
It's basically aligning my life to put God and his priorities first. Very simple. And so in this present age, Jesus says this, this present age can be uh, following Jesus has got a cost. And so the sacrifice of security, I remember for me, one of the huge issues in following the Lord was letting go security. I've been raised that security was important, raised by post-war, you know, my generation gone through the war and depression, and so security was everything. And I remember when I laid down my career to follow the Lord, the tremendous emotional turmoil I had for probably three days following that of fear of how I'd provide or be kept in the future. So there was a sacrifice, sacrifice of luxury. When you fast, you're giving up something in order to attain the presence and power of God in a greater dimension. Comfort, sometimes it's living their family. For some people, serving the Lord takes you away from natural family. And uh, so there's all kinds of things. Sometimes in walking and following Jesus, you lose friendships. I can think of some of the friends that I've had on my life. I thought they were great friends and I enjoyed their friendship immensely, but when we committed our lives to following Christ, each one of them decided they didn't want to be our friend anymore. And there's a grief in that. There was a loss in that. There's a loneliness in that. There's a, a sadness in all of that. This is what Jesus is talking about. When you follow him, you won't do the things others are doing and those people who you thought were your friends will then stop wanting to connect with you. So all of us face that challenge in following Jesus, whether we'll prioritize our life around what he says is of value. There's a private cost for everyone who follows Jesus. There are no exceptions. It could be the simple issue of being committed to integrity and honesty, and you refuse corruption or bribery or something in business, and that causes the loss of finances. And so this is a part of it, part of following Christ, there is hardship. The hardship might just be ridiculed for being a Christian, being ridiculed and rejected from the peer group, so you, the odd one out. Jesus understood this, and this is what he's referring to, and this is what the question is about. We've followed you, we've suffered ridicule, we've suffered misunderstandings with family, we've given up our security, given up our careers, we've made you first in our life, what do we get out of this? And he's saying, and this is what he's referring to. Some, for some people, following Christ means immense hardship. We go through hardship, unexpected hardship. It can mean periods of lack. When I started following Christ and gave up career, for us that meant uh, coming on a wage of one quarter what I had before. It meant living, trust, having to trust God to meet weekly expenses. It meant living. Uh, although we looked poor, <laughs> no one ever knew we were poor because we weren't. We were trusting God and learning the life of gratitude, contentment, and faith. And, and so that's part of the journey. For some people, there is pressure comes on them. There's demonic pressure comes on people who follow Christ. Spirits attack them. They have difficulties and hardships. In some nations, people are killed. Even to this day, if you know how to access the right kind of materials, you'll find that the persecution, murder, of, uh, and martyrdom of Christians is at the highest now in the world today than it's been in all of history. The media, of course, won't report that. But there are people all over the world, uh, in different parts of the world, who are losing their life because they chose to follow Christ. And uh, so this is what Jesus is talking about. And so, G and so obviously this is what Peter's saying. Man, we're facing all of this. 
what do we get out of this? What's in this for me? That's not a bad question, is it? And here's the thing we need to see. How does Jesus respond to that question? If you give your life up to serve, if you're engaged with God's people, you're serving in the church, you're living a life of godliness in the community, you're going through experiences that are difficult, the question that you could have is, well, what's in this for me? And it's a fair enough question. You need to be able to answer it because the what's in this for me will keep you motivated to endure all of that hardship. And uh, so the first thing is, is that Jesus does not rebuke Peter for inquiring about the reward or return. He could have said, wait a minute, listen, that's the wrong attitude. But he didn't say that's a wrong attitude. In other words, he accepted that Peter had every right to ask the question, I've given up so much to serve you, what will I receive? What's gonna happen to us? And he's bearing in mind his family he's left, his, uh, the, the business he's left, everything he's left. And, uh, and he's saying, what are we gonna get out of this? So, so here's the thing, Jesus doesn't rebuke him for inquiring what he received. In fact, if we see it, uh, the Bible, the, if we see very clearly, the desire for greatness is built into you by God. There's no person here doesn't have a desire to be great. And no one. It's built into you. God built it into you. The problem is how do we come great? Eh? There's, there's no person here that doesn't desire reward for their work. Think about that. You're wired for that. You work, you expect something from it. That's something that's wired into you. That's why some aspects of the way welfare systems work totally undermine the, 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 the plan that God built in for greatness through serving and reward for your labor. They disincentivize it altogether. So they're, they're counter kingdom. Think about that. We accept it, but it's counter kingdom. So in fact, Jesus said, that if you want to be great in the kingdom, become a servant. If you want to be the greatest, become the servant of all. So sacrificial service is the basis and foundation for greatness in the kingdom. So you can decide to be a great person. There's a path to it. You can decide to be an ordinary person. You can decide that your life doesn't count for anything. The pathway to greatness from God's point of view is the service of Jesus Christ. It's serving people. Think about that. That's why serving is such an important part of being a part of a body of believers. Serving is where you learn to develop faithfulness in a small task. But there's a much better picture in mind. So Jesus, notice what Jesus said, that in Matthew 19, 29, everyone, there it is, everyone, that's every one of us, who have left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, lands, children, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And Luke wrote in Luke 18, 30, many times more in this present age. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the rewards are real, they're tangible, they're now. They're in this life. So when I look and I, and I if you think about this, if we look at our family, and, and the, the outcome now at this age in our life of having served God, raised our family in God's ways, to have four, you know, to have our children in church with us, our grandchildren in church with us, our son-in-law, daughter-in-law in church with us, and to have a bond of love connecting the family, that's, there's no greater treasure I could want than that. 
See? But it's the, it's the fruit or the rewards tangibly of serving the Lord. God has provided for us honor in the nations. He's provided for us access to people at all levels of society. He's given us many, many things which are incredibly tangible. They're not sort of airy-fairy up there in the clouds. They're here and now, provisioned supernaturally and miraculously. His presence, tangible. Favor, tangible. And those are tangible things God wants to give you. But they, there's a path to it. It's the path of service. And uh, so notice there, he said a hundredfold or many times were. He, what he's saying is that the benefits that I will pour out on you for a life of service far outweighs anything that you've paid. Any cost in serving the Lord will be met by a reward far outweighing it. That's what he's saying. And, uh, and so he promised that. He's promised it not only now, but he's also promised it in the age to come. So when does the reward take place? Notice what Jesus said. He said this, rewards take place in this present age. I'm gonna explain that in a moment. Notice what he says, Luke 18, 30, shall receive many times more at this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So now God wants to compensate you. It just doesn't come immediately. So if you're a young believer, if you're just starting out and you walk with God, it seems like you're faced with challenges and difficulties, there's hardships, you seem to face rejection. The question is, is it really worth it? For some of you, you may have left a church where there's a lack of the presence and power of God to come here and that's brought conflict and difficulties. Is it all worth it? Jesus said, yes, it is. It'll count in this present age. And so notice he will, he will abundantly compensate us for whatever we've sacrificed for his kingdom purposes. And it'll happen in your life. In other words, even if you don't see it all now, over the course of time, the tangible results of serving God will become showing up in your life and in your, your relationships. Notice he says also the age to come. I'm gonna explain what that is in a moment. But you notice here in the age to come, God will grant us access to his eternal kingdom. He will grant us access to honor and power and authority and glory. And uh, we may not understand all that means. Notice what it says. It'll take place when Jesus returns and sits on the throne of his glory. So it's related to the return of the Lord. Notice this. He says in Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. So there's a time coming which is called the age to come. I'm gonna explain that in just a moment. But there are, the Bible tells us we can access now the blessings and power of that age. We can experience it in our life now. You can experience peace. You can experience being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can experience the miracles of God. You can experience many things. But the Bible says what you can experience in this period of time is a taste. Taste isn't the same as the whole meal. You want to taste of something? I like that. I want more. And so he's saying that the power of the age to come, we can taste it now. That's why in the church and in your personal life, God wants you to continually experience the power of his spirit, the power of his presence, the invasion of his life into your life now, giving provision, giving healing, doing all kinds of things so you're tasting what will come in abundance in the age to come. So what does the age to come mean? When the Bible talks about the age to come, what does it mean? 
Now this for some of us may just be quite an eye-opener for us. I want to show you then what does it mean when it talks about the age to come and then when will that age come? And uh, so first of all, the word age is just, uh, it's the word aeon, it means a period of time when God is out working a specific purpose. It's a period of time when God is working a specific thing that he's wanting to achieve. That's an aeon, an age. And so the Bible tells us there are different ages. Now, if you've done your history class, they won't tell you anything about this. You need to go to the Bible and the Bible describes it very clearly. Let me give you, first of all, it describes this present age in Galatians 1 and verse 4. Galatians 1 and verse 4, it says, God uh, it said, who Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. So notice then, the present age is the age we're in now. It's the age in history where we're living now. It's called the present age. And notice what it says, it's called the present evil age. So it's not a good age. You might think it's the good old times, whatever, but this Bible describes it as a present evil age. It is characterized by evil. That word evil means things which are harmful, things which are hurtful, things which cause grief, things which cause sorrow, uh, things which are full of labor and distress and pressure. Does that describe what life is like? Yeah, that's exactly what the world is like. You turn on the news and you can't help but see this present age is an evil present age. That's how the Bible describes it. Now, the reason it's a present evil age is because of the influence of Satan and demonic spirits from the spirit realm. They literally influence the affairs of life in the earth. Let me give you a scripture for that in 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world, that's the whole structures of government and society, are under the sway of the wicked one. So that means the reason you're seeing wars, conflicts, corruption, all kinds of horrendous things in the news is because the world systems are under the influence of demonic powers. They are directly influenced. That's why they don't function right. That's why no matter what you do, even if you change the government, it still doesn't function right because something spiritual is influencing it. We have to see as believers behind natural events are spiritual influences. In Ephesians 2 verse 1 it says, and you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses of sins, who in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Notice there it's saying that the whole world is following a course or a track it's just actually all walking down the same path, a path of lawlessness, independence from God, and it has the same destructive outcomes in every nation. And it says it's walk, working, it, it's being manipulated or worked on or energized by a hidden power that's called the devil. So that tells us the present age. Now, then the Bible tells us there is an age to come, an age to come. So this present age will come to an end. Now, of course, we think everything will just go on like it is. You're trained to think everything will go on like it is, but that's not what the Bible reveals. The Bible says this present age will come to an end and it will be replaced by something different. 
and it's the something different that we're called to know about and to live for. It's called our great hope. Notice what it says now. Uh, in, I'll give me give a couple of scriptures about the age to come. In Matthew 12, verse 32, uh, it says this. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him in this age or the age to come. Notice two ages. This age, the one we're living in, present evil age, and the age to come. Here's another one. And... Um, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 20, 21, uh, it talks about what God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand, a place of authority and power in the heavenly places, far above every principality and power, might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. So notice again, he's talking about this age. We're living in this age. It's an evil age. You are in constant spiritual warfare. But there is an age to come, which is different from this age. So notice then, this age will come to an end. This age will be replaced by a completely different age called in the Bible, the age to come. And how long is that age? Well, the Bible tells us that too. That, that age is called the millennium. It's a period of 1,000 years. So this current age that we're in now, this present evil age, will come to an end. And there'll be a period of transition which will bring global turmoil and then there will be the coming age. Okay, you get the idea? And notice that. Now the Bible tells us there's not only the millennial reign, the age to come, there are other ages. Notice, so read this verse here in Ephesians 2 verse 6. God has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come. So ages to come, Ages to come, what's God going to do in the ages to come? It says, in the ages to come, he will show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. So notice then, if it says ages to come, we're in the present age, there is the age to come, and there must be another age that follows that. That age is called eternity. So we're in the present age, there's the age to come, the millennium, a thousand years, and then there is the age to come beyond that called eternity, and each age has got a transition between it. Helps if you know that. So when will this age end and the next age begin? That's the question. And then the other thing is, what will happen? And then what will that next age be like? And more importantly, where will you be in it? And that's what leads us to the issue of our serving God now. Now let me just open up a bit further. So when will the age come to an end? When will this evil age, present evil age, where there's demonic activity everywhere, corruption, evil, sin, you can't go a day without seeing something like that. When will it end? When will there be justice? When will all of this change? Well, I'm glad you asked, because Jesus actually said that there are signs that reveal the end. Let me, let me take you to Matthew 24, verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be. Look, here's the question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? It's a very direct question. If you do your search of the Bible, you'll find these things. He's asked, they're asking three questions. What's going to, when's it going to happen to Jerusalem? He said, what will be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? The coming of Jesus and the end of the age go together. 
Okay then. And so notice this, they're asking, what's the sign? How can we know? You go outside, there's a signpost there, Ascend Global, you know the church is here. He said, what do we look for to know that the end of the age is coming? And so Jesus replied, and I won't look up the verses, you can look them up for yourself, and we've covered it before, but he said there is distinct things to look for that would indicate the age is coming to an end and a new age is beginning. I'll give them to you. Number one, it's all found in Matthew 24, verse five, false Christ. There'll be people coming who will represent themselves as being great and important and specially anointed and draw people after themselves. He says in verse six, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. So he said, there'll be an increase in conflicts among groups and tribes and nations, and there'll be rumors all the time of a war breaking out, a war breaking out. If you look in the paper, there's constant reports of war between India and China and war between China and the West. These things are circulating all the time. Uh, it says, the next thing it says, there'll be conflicts between the nations. Verse seven, nation will rise up against nation. And uh, thirdly, uh, fourthly, he said there'll be natural disasters, famines and pandemics, plural, and earthquakes in diverse places. So he said one of the things you'll see is in the, nat in the natural world, there will be a huge upheavals, and that will involve famines. And if you have a look now, and if you look the other day, the plagues of, uh, the plagues of locusts that are in Africa right now are unprecedented. And uh, he said there'd be famines, there'd be pestilences or pandemics that will be global. I won't go into that, but the Bible does tell exactly how many people will be killed by those pandemics. It's very large. This thing, COVID, is not even on the scale. Uh, earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, the, the next thing it tells us, there'll be widespread uh, persecution of Christians. Verse nine, uh, it tells us, verse 11, there'll be false prophets. Verse 12, widespread lawlessness. But it says here that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in every nation. So there it is. It gives you actually, if you look for the signs, they give indication that the end is drawing near, the transition from one age to the next age. And Jesus uh, also says that there'll be cosmic signs as well. There'll be things, verse 29 of Matthew 24, there'll be signs in the heavens. So there'll be unusual things seen in the heavens. So he says, notice in Matthew 24, 32 and 33, learn this from the fig tree, when its branch became tender and put forth leaves, you know summer is near. When you see all these things, know it is near, the end is near at the doors. So when you see all of those factors together, that's why if you read for the news, don't read to see how bad everything is, read for the signs. Start to look for the signs. And the signs point to something about to happen, the earth going through upheaval uh, prior, or birth pains just prior to the coming of the Lord. So there'll be at the, at the transition from one age to the other, there's gonna be a whole lot of things happen. Transition. Okay, let me tell you what happens. Now, uh, in the transition from one age to another, it's a period called the Great Tribulation. But there's a whole lot of things happen. Now, I won't go into it all. I just want to just give you just key things that happen that are necessary for the transition from this age to the next age. And how you behave in this age determines what happens during the tradition transition and how you whether you access that next stage and reward. 
So here's a few things that will happen. I won't give all the verses. I'll just give you the verse without looking them up. Number one, the Bible tells us that Satan and all the angels that rule in the second heaven now and that are influence all the nations, it says in Revelations 12, 7, 8, and 9, it said there'll be a war in heaven and that realm they're in now, they'll be cast out of it and they'll come to the earth. Now, if the devil's causing havoc now from the invisible spirit realm, you can't imagine what's going to happen on the earth when he's cast to the earth. It says his wrath is great. Okay, second thing is, there'll be therefore as a result of that a period called the Great Tribulation, seven years of terrible pressure. And in, in, in Matthew 24, 21, it says, there'll be a tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world to this time and never ever shall be seen again. In other words, you're saying there'll be a period of upheaval across the world that has never been experienced ever before. Not even in World War I, not even World War II. Third thing he says is there'll be massive judgments of God released on the earth. See, there's a change in leadership. And with the change of leadership, there is demonstration of power. The fourth thing that will happen in Revelations 20 verse 1, Satan will be completely bound and imprisoned and no longer able to have any influence on the earth. For the first time since the fall of Adam, there'll be no more demonic realm to have to deal with. There'll be nothing empowering the deception and destruction of nations. And then finally, Christ will return in person and establish his kingdom over all the earth. That's what the Bible tells us in uh, Matthew 19 and uh, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I tell you, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones. What he's saying then is Jesus will physically return. He will return to Jerusalem. Israel will be restored as a nation and its impact will be global in its influence. It will be the center of the world government. Think about that. That's why there's so much conflict over it now and always has been because it is to be the center of God's government on the earth. And it says there uh, that to the disciples, he said, you will be given positions of authority leading and ruling over and growing and developing and protecting the 12 tribes of Israel. And notice this, that Peter wrote down in 2 Peter 1.16, he said, this is not all a made-up story. He said, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See what he's saying? We've seen it. We saw when we were on the mountain the glory of his return and what he will be like when he returns. It'll be unbelievable glory. Okay then. So now then, I want to then go to where we want to head to. We want to head to the parable in Luke chapter 19, the parable of the, uh, the miners or the pounds. Here it is here in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. It says, now they heard all these things. He spoke to them another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought God would restore his kingdom now. And so Jesus tells them a story. This is just before his entry to Jerusalem. So he says, he tells them a parable. So what's a parable? A parable is a story. Often it was something that had happened that everyone knew about, but the parable they told was a story that people would say, oh, I know how this works out, but there's a spiritual message in it. 
Okay then. So this one here, this parable he's about to tell has got a historical background, which everyone knew. So if you knew the background, oh, oh, that's what he's talking about. If you don't know the background, it, it's kind of sort of a bit out there. Here's the background. Herod the Great, who built all the magnificent city of Jerusalem and the temple, he had just died. He had two sons, Herod Antipas and, uh, and Herod Archelaus. Herod Archelaus uh, was appointed by the army to be the head, uh, but he couldn't rule until he was appointed and given authority by Rome. And so Herod uh, Archelaus went and traveled all the way to Rome. He went a long trip to Rome to meet the emperor and then to be appointed or to be given authority, then he would return and rule. So he went on a long journey. And there were people who didn't want him to rule, so they opposed his rule, they contended with his rule, they hated him and didn't want him to have any part of it, but they, their will was overthrown and he was appointed and given authority to rule. And notice while he's away receiving authority, he's not in the place of ruling. Then he returns and immediately he returns, he begins his reign over Jerusalem, Judea, and, uh, and uh, the various areas that pointed him into Samaria. Okay, so everyone knew that story because it just happened, 4 BC. So everyone knew who Herod was. Everyone knew the story. They'd know that he had left, he'd gone to Rome, it'd been a long period away, then he'd come back, and when he came back, that he rewarded his servants and punished his enemies. They all knew that. That's in the background. Jesus tells the story now. And so Jesus tells the story, and here it is. Uh, and why did he teach the parable? He said, as they heard these things, he said, Luke 19, 11, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of heaven would appear immediately. So they're all thinking it's gonna happen now. So this is why he tells the story, it's not gonna happen now. And in the story is all the why of it. And so we'll read the story in just a moment. So their thinking was, Jesus is gonna rise up and he'll lead a political revolt, overthrow Rome, establish the throne of David, and then the nation of Israel be restored. He had no such plan in mind, not yet, not yet. He's now offering the kingdom of God and it's in his person. And if they reject him, they're rejecting the offer of the kingdom. So it was the timing. He will come again. He will reign in Jerusalem, but the timing was wrong. They got the timing wrong. So what, he, what, he's, what he's talking about then, uh, it says that there'll be a place in the future when Jesus will reign from Jerusalem over all nations of the earth. Let me just show it to you in Zechariah 14, 16 and 17. It'll come to pass, everyone left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up every year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And whatever family of the earth doesn't come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord of hosts, on them there'll be no rain. So it's saying that in the future, Jerusalem will be the center of governance of all nations, and the leaders of all nations will go to Jerusalem and if they fail to go to Jerusalem, there'll be consequences for them and their nations. He's talking about the future reign of Christ on the earth in Jerusalem. How about that? So think about this. So then this is referring, this age to come then is the millennium. Now I'm gonna move right past that and just go straight into the parable of the, of the, the miners because I wanna get the application clear. So notice he says, here it is. A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return, Archelaus. And he called 10 servants and delivered to them 10 miners and said, do business till I come. 
But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we won't have this man reign. So he's telling the story they all knew. And he's going to put a lesson to it. And so it was when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded the servants whom he given the money to be called that he might know how much everyone gained by trading. And then come the first, say, Master, your miner earned 10 miners. He said, well done, good servant. You've been faithful and very little. Have authority over 10 cities. Okay, then we go back again. He said, the second came, said, Master, your miners earned five miners. Well, you be over five cities. And one came saying, Master, here's your miner, which I've kept away in a handkerchief. I feared you, you're a steer man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. And he said, out of your own mouth, I judge you, you wicked servant. You knew I was an steer man collecting what I didn't deposit, reaping what I didn't sow. Why didn't you put my money in the bank that my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him, giving it to the one who had 10. He said, wait a minute, he's already got 10. And he says, no, I tell you that everyone who has will be given more and from him who does not have what he has will be taken away. And then lastly, bring those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. So here's the story. The nobleman is Jesus himself. The far country is heaven. Jesus has ascended from the dead and he's now gone into heaven. What's he gone into heaven for? To receive the kingdom, the title deed to the whole earth, to be king of all the earth. We see that shown in, uh, in the book of Revelation where John has a revelation. He sees a scroll, which is the deed, title deed to the earth. And he says, who is worthy to open it? And there was no one worthy to open it. And he wept and wept and wept. And then they said, there's one who's worthy to open. It's Jesus Christ who redeemed us and made us kings and priests to serve with him. So notice says Jesus will return. The exact timing is not known to us, only known to the Father, but there are some signs. And when Jesus returns, his coming will be different to his first coming. In the first coming, he came as a humble and meek servant who gave up his life. He was unnoticed in that sense. When he returns again, he will return differently. He will not return as the sacrificial servant. He will return as the king of glory with his armies to impose his reign on the earth. There will be no way to resist it. That's the age to come. Right now, we're living in this age, the age where we're the servants. And notice then, the servants. It says 10 servants. These are believers. The only way you can be a servant of God is if you've come to trust Jesus Christ and you then become a servant. You then become responsible to follow him and fulfill his role for you. 10 means all of them. 10 commandments, all the commandments. 10 virgins, all the virgins. 10 servants, all servants in all time. So it's talking about all the servants of the Lord throughout history it's referring to. And Jesus said this uh, in John 12, 26, if any man serves me, let him follow me. And he says, for he that, and where I am, my servant will be, whoever serves me, my father will honor. So the issue here is the honor that is going to come to people faithfully serving the Lord. Notice he said he gave everyone the same, one minor. I don't know what that means. It just means everyone got the same start. It could be you got a revelation of the gospel. It could refer to spiritual gift. Doesn't say what it refers to. It just says everyone is on the same playing field. Everyone has the same opportunity. 
you're a mother, you're a young person, you're a father, you're an older person, everyone who receives Christ, God gives opportunity to serve him in their sphere, their field, and to be productive in that field. It's not how much, it has to do so much with that you are faithful in what you are, are, are given. He says, do business till I come. So he tells them very clearly, and you gotta understand this, God expects every believer to be busy for him. He doesn't talk about coming to church. He doesn't talk about that at all. He talks about being busy, advancing his interests, representing him well wherever you are and reaching out to connect with people, to serve them and fulfill what God has given you to do, influencing people, bringing people to Christ, building the church. Very, very simple. So it involves working as Jesus' representative wherever he calls you to work. See, and here's the problem, that when you do that, there's a risk, a risk of being hurt, rejected, maltreated, a risk also that you'll fail in your service. That is the greatest risk of all. And so it goes on, it says, notice here, his citizens hated him. This refers to the Jews who hated Jesus and a few days later called out, crucify him and put him to death. It also refers to any person who resists responding to Christ. The issue is, will you let Jesus be the rightful ruler he is, or will you reject him and reject his rule? Very simple. Notice here, all the servants had to give account. When he returned, verse 15, having received the kingdom, he commanded the servants, he given the money and said, how much did you gain? So what that tells you is this, everyone here, you will have an appointment with Jesus at his coming and he will say, what did you do with what was entrusted you? Were you productive? What did you accomplish? It's not to do with whether you're saved. He's looking at you, can I, have you qualified to enter this coming kingdom? Have you qualified for promotion? How have you served your apprenticeship in these years of your life? Notice there, everyone in 2 Corinthians 5.10 must appear before the Lord to receive reward or loss for what you did while you're living. So you may be able to fool people with how you do life. You may turn up to church and, and the rest of your life is, is, there's all sorts of things going on that are ungodly, but you can't fool God. He sees it all. And it said, notice there, what are the rewards? The rewards are really significant. It says here in Luke 7, 19, 17, he said to them, well done, good servant. You are faithful and very little, have authority over 10 cities. When Jesus returns, he's gonna require people to occupy places of governance in every arena of society, education, business, politics, in media, in arts. There will be need to be a reformation of the earth in order agriculture, so when Jesus returns, everything, he's gonna need people that will work with him. Some people think when Jesus returns, everything will suddenly change. No, there will be sudden upheaval, but change will be progressive. It will take time to shift the political systems. It will take time to restore the justice systems. It will take time to restore agricultural practices. It will take time to shift economic practices and change taxation systems and how governance works. All of that will take time and God is preparing people now for that. 
Think about it. Notice there, he says, well done, good servant, you are faithful over really have authority over 10 cities. Authority over 10 cities, you mean governance over 10 cities full of thousands of people to bring God's direction to them how to rebuild their city and rebuild their economy and rebuild their families and rebuild their society. That's extraordinary, massive, honorable role and position. One had multiplied a tenfold reward and notice here that the rewards are different. They're not equal. We'd love to think they were equal, but they're not. He's just to one, he started with one and he got 10. God gave him rulership over 10 cities. One started with one, got five, rulership over five cities. God's saying, how you are rewarded is in proportion to what you did with what you have. No one is limited. It's unlimited because greatness is unlimited. You're called to greatness and you're called to a great destiny. Don't sell it out for something cheap and temporary. This is an eternal destiny. Notice he said this one servant was faithful, unfaithful. He was not productive at all. He just turned up and he still had what he'd been given. He'd never done anything. Why had he never done anything? Because he had a wrong vision and wrong concept of God and all he could do was think about himself. And that's the big problem people have. They think about themselves and they don't understand that God's calling you to be great. He's calling you not to be living for yourself and, and living a life that's self-centered, but to live a life that's a big life, a life with vision, with purpose, with an eternal destiny. And that one, there's more written about the one that failed than all the others because the greatest difficulty we may have is maintaining faithful service. If you look at the church, the body of Christ, this is the biggest issue, is they don't understand the need to bring honor to God by doing the works He called you to do. They just come and get a touch of God and go home and live life around themselves. We're called to bigger things than that. If, if you're just tied up in yourself, your world is a small world, but when you're caught up in the kingdom of God and, and reaching and bringing the blessings of God to others, this is a great thing. It's a big vision. And then it says, those citizens who refuse to reign, great judgment comes on them. They don't think people are gonna get away with stuff. You may look at the law and look at things and see injustices, no one gets away with anything. God executes judgment throughout the whole earth. All nations come under Him. This is a global event. This is the true one world government that God always had in mind. It's one government with Christ at the head under the Father and there's people ruling with Him, sharing in that role. You're called to that. That is your destiny. How it works out specifically is unique to each person. That's what you're called to. Jesus has ascended for an indefinite, indefinite time, but the signs are beginning to show His return is near. He will return not quietly, but in great demonstrations of power. In a resurrection body, no one can touch Him, no one can harm Him, no one can stop Him. And at that time, those who qualify, He will raise them through resurrection to live forever. How horrendous to be a believer that was called to that and you watch others enter a resurrection body and you will die and wait a thousand years before you can be raised in the general resurrection before the coming of the next age. 
those who are poor students, unfaithful uh, servants of Christ will suffer loss. But those who are faithful be rewarded. Those who reject Christ and refuse His reign, terrible judgment will come upon them. You can read it in the book of Revelation. So right now, God is preparing His leadership team. You're in Jesus' leadership team, but you're in training. He's training you how to be intimate with Him. He's training you to let His Spirit work in your life to change you. He's training you to be faithful in your service. That means turn up when you need to turn up. Do what needs to be done. Do it with a great attitude and a right attitude. That's what it means. You're you're in training for reigning. How are you doing in your training? How are you showing up? Can anyone speak into your life? Can anyone correct you? Can anyone guide? Are you faithful in what you're called to do? Or do you treat it casually? See, you're in preparation right now for the greatest global event ever to happen in the history of the earth. I didn't have enough time to tell you what's gonna go on in that thing and what you're gonna be called to do. But there's much we're called to do. Notice there's nothing Jesus never spoke about heaven there anywhere. He talked about Him coming to earth. We're called to share with Him in the greatest period of human history. A period when the devil has taken out the more demonic influence. Imagine that. When the curse is lifted off the ground, it's no longer hard to get the ground to produce. It produces the most phenomenally way. When Jesus is present and there's revelation of His glory throughout the earth, the atmosphere spiritually has altered. Things thrive. Things live long. When, when people, a company of people who have qualified have been raised from the dead and are now have access to Him, they can do what Jesus did, turn up whenever. What an amazing reward. And God says, be faithful now. Jesus said, so the disciples said, we'll finish with this. What shall we get for following you? He said, that's what you're gonna get. He said, for the disciples, they'll sit on thrones. They will rule over the tribes of Israel. Great honor, great authority, amazing. Creativity will increase in the millennium. New technology is gonna be the most phenomenal period of history to be alive in. Nations at peace, no more wars. Even creation, the animals no longer fighting one another. Can you imagine that? That's why the Bible says about, it describes all of these things. You just got to search it out. What would you be doing? I can't finish that. But what you can do is serve now. Why don't you close your eyes right now? Father in heaven, come fill us. Come fill us. We choose to honor you through our service. No longer taking our service as a small thing, but seeing every time we're called to serve, it's an opportunity to honor you with a great attitude, a great spirit, to do it with excellence, to do it with diligence, to do it by the power of the Holy Ghost. Whether it be in the home, in the schools, in the marketplace, in the businesses, in agriculture, in media, wherever it is, Lord, we are called to bring glory to you. Lord, now fill us and empower us to do that very thing. If we, and anywhere, 
have been unfaithful. Lord, we repent. We're so grateful for what you did on the cross. Now, Lord, fill us again. Fill us again. Fill us again to serve you. Come on, let's just stand to the Lord right now. Let's just stand. We're going to flow back in that song you were singing before. It's just a great song. We're going to bring honor to Him. Make that your prayer as you sing the song. You will honor Jesus. You'll honor Him with your life. You'll honor Him with your attitudes. You'll honor Him in what you do, even the littlest thing. That you'll treat the things you do as your service to Jesus. Come on, let's honor Him right now. Father, I pray that Your Spirit would be released. You would come and fill us up. Come and fill us up, Lord. Fill us up with fresh fire. Fill us up with fire for souls. Fire to seek your kingdom advance. Fire to reach other people for Christ. Fire to pray. Fire to serve you. Fresh fire. Fill, fill, fill my life. Fill my spirit. Fill me from the inside. Fill me, Lord, fill me. Set me on fire. Set me on fire.
blessed. Let your name be honored in our lives, our marriages, our families, our business, our finances, our service, our studies. Let your presence be upon your people, your glory upon your people. Release a great outpouring in our midst. Let this church be a blessing to our city. Let this church be an influence in our city and nation. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless you. We've got great events next week. Men's event. Man, it's just all exciting weekend. God bless everyone.